Nehemiah. I, uh, to be honest, it's not um, a book that I had spent much time in, um, and it certainly wasn't one of my go-to books. But um, I really feel it has so much for us in the season that we're in right now. And I, I felt prompted to read it afresh last year. I'd been reading um, Haggai, and two nine says. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. And during the lockdown, like so many of us, I missed coming to church. And these verses from Haggai made me think, well, if, if church is going to become a place of greater glory, what is that going to look like? And I feel that there's a description of what church could be like, the church that we could aspire to be, given in Zechariah 2. Verse 10 says, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Well, a church where God is the fire around it and the glory within it. That's a church I want to belong to. So how do we become that church? And in thinking how how we might be a city, how we might become a city without walls, I found myself rereading Nehemiah, which of course is about rebuilding walls around the city. But I, I think it really has so much for us in this time when the Holy Spirit wants to rebuild us spiritually with God as individuals and as a church. So just to briefly recap, um, the project to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem began in the tears and prayers of Nehemiah. He's granted leave from his duties as cupbearer to the king. And once in Jerusalem, Nehemiah shares his vision with the leaders there. And he tells them that God's gracious hand is upon him. And I think it's important, isn't it, in in starting a new venture to know that God's hand is on it, that it's not just a good idea. It wasn't just the priests and the leaders. Ordinary people with other jobs committed their time and energy. Perfume makers, goldsmiths, were told that Shalom, with the help of his daughters, so families joined together and took on the responsibility of each repairing a particular section of the wall. And then the opposition begins, which is the chapter we've just heard read. Samballat, an official, ridicules the builders. Verse 12 in the New Living Translation says, Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And this mocking, I think, has the potential to be a very effective attack because there's truth in it. The walls are burnt and broken. Jerusalem is in disgrace. And it seems an enormous task to rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah chooses to hold on to the promise that he reminded God of in the first chapter of Nehemiah. If you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon... I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
Now, the charred stones and the enormity of the task don't really match the vision that Nehemiah has for the restoration of the wall and the gap between the reality of what's in front of him and and the vision that they're hoping and believing for is really wide. And in rebuilding our spiritual lives, we need to be honest and vulnerable at looking at the areas that need improvement. Our spiritual stones might be charred and broken But we also need to hold on very firmly to the promise that God has for all of us, individually and as a church, the potential of what he can shape those stones into. God doesn't want us to ignore the problems, the sin. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance. But conviction is different from condemnation. Conviction will move us forward in the rebuilding, into the promises of God condemnation it's a discouraging distraction that risks the building work falling apart before it's barely begun and Nehemiah's response to this attack was to turn to God he didn't engage with the enemy he didn't engage with what they were saying he he holds on to the vision and to the promise and so verse 6 tells us so we read all their heart the opposition hears that the gaps in the wall are closed And they're furious. Again, Nehemiah's response was to pray. And he posted a guard for protection. But then, there's another problem. Verse 10 says, The people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. How often do we start something with great enthusiasm and energy and then find it gets difficult. If you've ever had any building work or decorating done, you know that there's a sort of a nice bit where you look around your place and you think, oh, it's going to be so great when we've got more space or when it's brighter, it's going to be so much better, and you might enjoy choosing the colours. And then there's the not-so-nice bit when you clear everything out in preparation and you might find that... um, The place is in a worse state than you thought. And then sometimes there's the really rubbish bit when the work is over schedule, it's over budget, problems have come up that you weren't anticipating and you wish you'd never started. And you old house, we uh, decided to have a loft extension and we reached this low point when instead of being rubble down the toilet, so the sewage system became blocked. And then we discovered that our garden was the main sewage junction for the whole street because the sewage from the whole street was rising up through our patio and seeping into the house. Um, I was heavily pregnant at the time and I was throwing bleach around thinking, why did we start this? There's too much rubble and sewage And why did we ever think we wanted a loft extension? But when the work was finished, that extra space in our home meant that when my mum became ill the following year, it was very easy and comfortable for her to come and live with us and we could care for her in her last months. And after that, our home became a home for a friend who needed a place to stay and we hosted a variety, a variety of missionaries. 
from the time that it was built until the time that we moved, that space was rarely empty. And it was a real blessing to us, to our family, and to others. And our spiritual rebuilding is so much more important than any work that we can do on our physical houses. And when we're going deeper with God, and when we're being honest with him, our circumstances might be really challenging, or stuff might, might come up. And we might find ourselves thinking, there's too much rubble. But God might want to build a, a massive extension in our hearts, a massive extension of love, It might be that he wants to build a great palace within us. But that process isn't always easy or comfortable. At the vision evening, Malcolm said this. If we are serious about taking responsibility as individuals and together for praying for a fresh move of the Spirit, making disciples in our community and loving each other as a church family... It's clear that this will call us to a higher level of commitment, sacrifice, generosity, and a reordering of our priorities. I can't pretend it will be easy, but I think it will be worth it. Well, the rebuilders of the walls of Jerusalem at this point were not finding it easy. Their enemies were plotting to kill them. And verse 12 says, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Nehemiah's response was both practical and spiritual. He places protection over the most vulnerable areas of the wall. And then he says, After I looked, after I looked things over, so he takes his time to respond. He doesn't react in a panic. He gathers the people together and he says, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And this is a really useful strategy when we come up against the opposition. Remembering the Lord, remembering what he has done. And in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, verse after verse, the leaders of the Levites remember what the Lord has done, beginning with making the skies and the heavens. And they list the mercies, the rescues, the faithfulness of God to their ancestors. When we find ourselves in danger of becoming overwhelmed, it's powerful to remember our God and what he's done. And not just what we read about in the Bible but also to build a library of our testimonies, testimonies from our own life. When we've experienced God's faithfulness and his power, it becomes so much easier to trust him when we face similar circumstances again. And when we share our testimonies from the seemingly small stuff to the truly miraculous, others can draw hope from it too. Nehemiah then goes on to say, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I think it's interesting that he doesn't just say fight, just fight, as in fight for yourselves. Sometimes it's easier to rise up and find the strength to fight for others than it is to fight for ourselves. And it's good to be aware that our spiritual rebuilding has consequences outside ourselves. 
I have reaped the benefits and I am continually blessed by the spiritual maturity of others. People who have discipled me, prayed for me, spoken into my life. And my own spiritual rebuilding, or the lack of it, will have consequences in the lives of my children. So if we can't find what it takes to fight and commit to the spiritual rebuilding for ourselves, let's do it for those we love. Or let's even choose to do it for the people we haven't met yet, whose lives might be changed because we've carried Jesus to them. So the building work continues. And verse 16 tells us, From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The people of Jerusalem protected each other. They covered each other's backs. And we're called to cover each other in prayer. We can expect opposition, so we need to put on the full armor of God. This is fundamental to our loving each other as, our, as a caring church family. We're to be a people who pray. But also, and just as importantly, we're called to be a people who receive prayer. Nehemiah put these protections in place because he was told again and again of the vulnerability of those who lived near the wall, close to the enemy. If they had felt ashamed to ask for help alone, the plans of the enemy to kill them might have been successful and other parts of the wall would have been endangered, the rebuilding would have ended. So let's be a people who are armoured up to pray for each other, but also open and willing to receive prayer ourselves. And so the work continued, with half the force guarding and half the force working on the wall. And verse 23 in the New Living Translation reads... During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. I think this was a key strategy in Nehemiah's battle with the opposition. He never took off his clothes. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. We have been clothed with garments of salvation. We are arrayed in a robe of his righteousness. These are the clothes that we must never take off. Knowing who we are, knowing our identity as saved, forgiven, and truly treasured by God is foundational to our spiritual rebuilding. And it's our primary defense against the opposition we'll come against. We put on the armor of God, but we must never take off our clothes of salvation and the righteousness that Jesus died for. We're his, his bride. And the enemy will try to undermine and destroy that. It's an old tactic. The devil tried it on Jesus in the wilderness, if you are the son of God. And in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, the enemies of the rebuilding project 
try to discredit Nehemiah and his motives. They question his integrity and they attack his identity. Nehemiah is having none of it. The New Living Translation in Nehemiah 6, 8 says his response to, to this attack. There is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Let's be like Nehemiah. Let's recognize the tricks of the enemy. And rather than being discouraged by them, let it spur us on to work with even greater determination. As well as trying to discredit him, Nehemiah's enemies tried to distract him by asking him to meet with them. Four times he sent them the same response. Again, the New Living Translation says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Distraction can be a really powerful obstacle to our spiritual rebuilding. Investing in our relationship, deepening our intimacy with God, takes time. And we need to prioritize this great work as Nehemiah did. And the great work is not to be confused with good work. Helping our neighbors, feeding the hungry, serving at church, these are good things that we might be called to do, but they are not a substitute for the great work. Saying yes to too many good things can mean that we are saying no to the most meaningful. Our relationship with God and our abiding in him So let's prioritize and ring fence the time that it deserves. Let's not think of our investing in this relationship as as an indulgence or an add-on, something that we get around to if there's time. It is a great work with far-reaching and eternal consequences that will impact not just ourselves, but those we love and our society. We need to avoid distraction and prioritize. So the strategies of Nehemiah proved to be successful, and despite the opposition, the wall was completed in 52 days. Nehemiah 6:17 describes the reaction of those who'd opposed it. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. That's what happens to the opposition in our lives when our spiritual walls are built and in good shape. The enemy recognizes that we're protected and its power diminishes. It doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. The rebuilt walls still needed defending. But when the troubles come... We're ready and equipped and confident of God's presence with us. So what was the other fruit of the rebuilding? Well, measures were put in place to correct social injustices in the community. The oppressed were defended. The exiles returned. Nehemiah 7 tells us that tens of thousands of people returned from exile. 
Nehemiah in his prayers and mourning and fasting had reminded God of this promise that had been originally given to Moses, the promise of the exiles returning, and he saw it happen. Nehemiah 8 describes a renewed hunger for the word of God, another fruit of the restoration of the wall. And not just in those who'd been involved in the rebuilding, but in all the returning exiles. Men, women and children assembled to listen closely to the word of God. They bowed down and worshipped and then they wept as they listened to the word of God. I don't know about you, but I don't weep at the word of God very often. And then Nehemiah eight twelve says, they celebrated with great joy because they now understood of God's word. It touched them. It transformed them. And they confessed their sin. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Nehemiah's vision began in prayers and tears, and the favor of God meant that others caught the vision and joined him in the rebuilding. And his strategies for sustaining the project were sound and effective, and I think they're really useful and applicable to our spiritual rebuilding. Prayer. Trusting the vision and committing obediently and wholeheartedly to it. Prioritising the great work. Covering each other in prayer. Fighting for others being confident in our identity in Jesus, remembering our great and awesome God and all that he has done. And this invitation, this prompting for spiritual rebuilding, for deeper intimacy with God, it's not new. It has always been, but we are living in unusual times. It's a time of great uncertainty the pandemic, climate crisis, the war in Europe. These things are shaking us. And people across the world, the things that they once relied on are shifting like sand. And I think people are looking for a foundation of rock to build their trust on. And as Christians, we have an opportunity to reset, to rebuild ourselves and our church so that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And our spiritual rebuilding and the joining together of our walls could mean that we do become that community described in Zechariah 2. A city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Let's pray. Father God, we are yours. We are your church. And it's our desire to be the church that you want us to be. I thank you, Lord, that we come to you 
confident that when we come with a desire to know you better, to be more like you, to go deeper, we can be sure that our prayers will be answered. And I pray, Lord, that you would heighten that desire in us, that we would abide in you, and that, Holy Spirit, you would be a wall of fire around us and the glory within us. In Jesus' name, amen.